It all started with jellyfish. They were most likely the first animal with a nervous system, just a blob of nerves. Its nerves allowed it to feel and react to the world around it. A little later, these simple nervous systems began to gain complexity. They turned into a centralized system getting orders from a leader called the brain. This system continuously evolved and became more complex. We then got frogs, rodents, mammals, and ultimately hominids and the humans that we know today. The human brain got to such complexity that it began to allow communication of thoughts from one brain to another. As time went on, these communication systems began to advance from language to literature. Later on, humans invented the telephone, computers, and the internet. It seems like the further connected we get, the more the species as a whole begins to function like a single organism. Computers and the internet were game changers. They allowed humans to outsource many other quantifiable brain-related tasks to make their work easier. However, there remains one task that a computer can't exactly emulate, at least not yet, and that is thinking. A sense of awareness. Some argue that the next step will be the connection of the human brain directly to a computer. Today, we have a special guest that will help us understand how that could work as well as its implications on gaming. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Diego. Hello, hello. This is Diego Saldivar, and I come from Mexico. I studied um, bachelor's in animation and digital arts in Mexico City and Querétaro. Then I studied with Mosin, well, not with him specifically, but at the same institution in the Technische Hochschule Köln, the Cologne Skin Lab in Germany. And now I am teaching game design and animation in Norway at this institute we call NORAF, University College. And uh, my current research is centered around uh, ludonarrative harmony and neuro games research. I'm preparing to do some research on the viability of neuro games, how fun they can be, and how actually they are not that difficult to make for game designers. Also, I should uh, mention, of course, that my master's degree thesis was centered around using transcranial magnetic stimulation as a game mechanic, basically using magnetic um, fields in order to feed information of sorts back into the brain as part of uh, the game. So that's it for me. Uh, Diego, I think you are um, highly qualified for this topic. <laughs> I, well, for I us. hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Diego has a specialized knowledge on brain interface systems. So, uh, Diego, uh, give us a little background on what um, yeah, interested you about this field and um, why you got into it. Yes, of course. In the first place. Indeed. Well, I have always liked the nervous system and the brain and how it works. And I think that if I hadn't gone into video games, I would have gone into neurology. Um, so that has always been an interesting thing for me to pursue. And when I was confronted with the question of what kind of research do you want to do, I always go back into the brain. So I was thinking, how about I combine my career as a game designer and my passion for neurology in one? And so I thought, okay, let's talk about neuro games, games that interface directly with the brain. And what I found out is that uh, the research on neuro games in and of themselves as a product 
is very poor. Usually the researchers use games in order to... Usually, researchers use games as a proof of concept, so to speak. Um, they make a small little game or they adapt a game, and then they try to prove that their technology works or that their concept on brain-to-brain -brain communication works. But the game in and of itself looks slightly better than Pong. So I took it upon myself to take that banner of, yes, we can make attractive neuro games. <laughs> And they can be sold and they can be consumed by the mass market today, not tomorrow in some distant future, but today, because we already have the technology ready today. And so that's how I got into it. Yeah. So uh, recently, a company called Neuralink, founded by Elon Musk, has been expressing their intent on building a brain-computer interface. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I think... It's interesting that we have a private company researching ways to commercialize a product that has been uh, researched about for a decade or two already. But instead of uh, trying to sell this as a way to get more science research grants, they're trying to actually sell a product. However, in my view, I think that this product is too invasive in how it um, is supposed to be installed. So I don't think it will be able to get as much commercial success as a non-invasive product, which is um, much closer to my own research. Although they do make it very clear that their first customers would rather be people who would be using this on the long-term basis and would not be changing the device as fast as we change cell phones because it's for people with paralysis, with Parkinson's, with uh, any kinds of strokes or uh, limitations. So these kind of people usually use implants in order to enhance or replace certain lost um, skills, abilities, or skills that they didn't have, well, not skills, but rather functions that they didn't have, such as cochlear implants, which are a reality of today. Uh, people who are born with deformities in the uh, bones in the inner ear, but who have viable uh, auditory nerves can have a cochlear implant to have audio basically streamed directly into the uh, into their nerve, right? So, yeah, that's that's what I think about it. I think that it's a, an interesting initiative, but I don't think it could reach our larger market, or not as much of of a larger mar market as the Tesla cars could, right? Yeah, correct. I agree. Um, yeah, that's interesting. As you mentioned that we are already um, cyborg or many of us are already cyborg. We, have, we are carrying so many devices in our bodies or so many people are doing that because they need it uh, and um, yeah, in every day they need to use it. So we are already cyborg. So um, what's going to come <laughs> next? Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, one of the things that mentioned that uh, masks at the link uh, could be installed uh, by custom built robots on a local anesthetic. Uh, that sounds uh, rather simplistic, but um, how will this be? Uh, this 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 piece of uh, hardware is going to install, and what happens if the implant malfunctions? Uh, uh, how can you if you need to replace it again? And uh, what happens if it's just going to give you electrical shock? For example, imagine it is not going to be your phone in your pocket. Uh, however, even that phone in your pocket is going to be very dangerous. 
if anything happens to the battery. Uh, but imagine that the, that the chip is going to be in your, inside your brain, and then if anything happened to it, you're you're not going to probably survive or something. So uh, it sounds like it's not uh, so that simplistic as Elon Elon Musk has imagined that. But uh, what do you think about it? Uh, do, do you think it's going to be just happen very soon, or uh, if it's going to happen? Um, how much people are going to really accept it? Well, your question to accept the risk. Yes, of course. Uh, I think your questions are very much on point, and Elon Musk does try to, if not uh, answer the questions uh, on a public forum. He did last year make the point of saying, you know, what we're recruiting people who can help us answer these questions, right? Because he knows that a commercial product requires a high level of quality and safety. And um, before anything can go into the human body, it has to be tested for all of these concerns, of course. And they already have been for certain implants, which are already being used for either um, audio, visual, or um, motor function um, management. So, or even for pacemakers, which are right next to your heart, you know. <laughs> so that that's that's at least reassuring that you have a private company who's uh, bound by law to answer these questions before they even start t testing on human beings. So yeah, and now uh, if you, if you could repeat kind of your last question in order to understand what the direction of this train of thought was that would be great oh yeah just i mentioned that um would you accept the risk for example if any is going to mass market and then uh, and then and then the company said that everything is okay we're going to just cut a very small hole in your in your in your skull and you're going to just put a needle inside and in, from the needle we're going to inject a very very small chip inside your brain and then we're going to just for example spread it to different uh, to different areas of your brain so we are going to and then we're going to put very little a uh, little signal like a hair or something a little signal out of the skull and then we're going to just make it uh, make it very nice so nobody's going to notice it and this signal is going to give uh, give us this give us the give us the interface give us the information that we want from the brain uh, outside to another device for example a mobile phone or a computer or anything else so we can just um, play with it for example the, the 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 brain can just for example send a message the brain can watch a video the brain without even need a smartphone uh, however the smartphone for example can be in its pocket however it doesn't need to see the smartphone for example to send a message indeed with just uh messages uh, messages uh neurons and then just uh trans uh transferring uh mechanisms in in, in neurons is going to just you're going to send a message for example would you accept the risk, for example, right. if if it, this this product is going to be finished and they're going to say that everything is going to be fine, um, and then would you get it? Indeed. So uh, that's a question of marketing versus personal choice. I personally wouldn't because I don't think I require an invasive procedure to be able to interface with the brain. Well, at least not in my opinion, right? Uh, I'm pretty certain that people who have no choice, like paralytic people, would not even think twice about it because they have much more to gain by getting this uh, implant into their skull than me, for instance, because I'm much more able-bodied and I can just turn a switch on or off with my own hands without a problem. Those who can't would most likely not even think twice about it, right? Now, they are um, they're selling and hyping their product because they need to. They're a company and it's like, oh yeah, there's going to be 
easy and we're going to be able to sometime in the long time future be able to even play video games and things like that right they're selling the possibilities but the practicalities they are the actual reality is that they're developing not so much a mass market product for everyone to just open their skulls and put a new device every two years but rather they're um developing a, a medical device it is as of today a project to create a medical device that is um, easy enough to produce and to interface with to offer people who need this medical device a better quality of life so uh, to answer your question i personally wouldn't go to the lengths of opening up my own skull to get these newfangled devices, but I'm pretty certain that they do have a use and do, they do have um, a, a target audience that would be very glad to to be able to use it on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. For example, for disabled people, or for example, people, for example, very old, they cannot con- interact with other uh, devices, uh, smart devices. Uh, they can interact uh, through their brains. They can send signals uh, to those devices to make their jobs done. Exactly. But uh, how do you guys, how do you see the learning curve play out? Do you think it will be hard for people to adapt to it? Or do you see, do you see it being easy to onboard people, perhaps similar to VR games? Well, that is a question of user experience, but also a question of what research has shown us on very similar devices, because this is not the only device that's being researched. There's other public uh, published, there's other published papers on this exact question. And usually it takes weeks to a month to be able to not only learn, but adapt on how to use it through therapy and exercises in order for the pointer on a screen to go exactly where you want it to go. And also for the technology to understand how your brain patterns uh, correlate to your intentions on the screen, things like that. It takes a little bit of a while. It doesn't take days. You don't just walk out of the surgery and uh, immediately start uh, doing all kinds of telepathy or uh, telekinesis, but rather it takes a little bit of training, right? And when it comes to onboarding video game style with a tutorial and uh, user experience design geared towards helping educate and um, accelerate the acquisition of skills, well, that requires a team of pedagogists, engineers, designers to create such a tutorial and onboarding, which is not always a luxury that researchers have. You have neurologists and engineers trying to make sure that the um, that the technology works to begin with. So what they publish is, yes, it took three weeks or four weeks for the subject to fully master this or two weeks to be able to uh, make the pointer go exactly where it's supposed to be, right? But how quickly you can accelerate this process is dependent on other disciplines such as education and user experience design and even web design, uh, even game design. So you would require game designers to come and make another experiment to see 
how you can accelerate this onboarding process. And that's something that has not yet been done as far as I know. Yeah, so true. Yeah, um, the, the, the idea of even VR games, I just wanted to add something in here. It was, um, uh, this VR game has, I, I could have never accustomed myself to these VR glasses because I think they, they are just, uh, they're just presenting a very short moment. I mean, I cannot even use the glasses for, uh, no matter what glasses, I cannot even use those glasses for more than one hour or something. There are also problems with like vertigo or motion sickness. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then uh, I just, it's difficult. I mean, for me, my maximum that I can be behind the glasses is just about 15 minutes. Yeah, 15 minutes. And I need rest for about 30 minutes and then I can use another 15 minutes, for example, something like this. And now imagine if, but, but these are glasses, they're not invasive or something. Imagine you can just put it off or something. But if the, the mask is going to make an interface, it is interface, brain interface, and it's going to make it an invasive brain interface and you're going to need to put it in your brain, uh, imagine if you cannot uh, shut it down <laughs> and you're not very comfortable with it and uh, that needs another surgery to get it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can take information from cochlear implants, which is kind of similar. Uh, sometimes people who are regaining their their auditory capabilities with cochlear implants have to have a bit of a week or two to have the brain get accustomed to this new signal coming, but also they have to turn off their uh, the cochlear implants every now and then to be able to do exactly that. But after a while, as they become accustomed, as one does with new glasses, for instance, actual you know prescription glasses, um, you can start coming up with new applications for the cochlear implants. There's people who use them as um, headphones or earphones. They listen to music directly into their cochlear implants. So that that's interesting to, to see how one can get accustomed to a certain kind of technology, not just uh, when it comes to an addition like the VR glasses, but something that's invasive, such as a cochlear implant. Yeah, with regard to the data, who will own that? Do you see the security concerns here or what stops it from being hacked? That is a very, very good question. And Elon Musk already has announced that they do have um, a team working on security as you would with any other digital device nowadays. Uh, but when it comes to owning the data, legally speaking, I only know of two countries which have in their constitution um, a section that talks about neural rights. Spain and Peru, I think it was last year, um, added to their actual constitution, neural rights as human rights. And part of that is you own your data, not only as your name, as your weight, as whatever you do, but also your neural data, whatever is produced by your brain would be protected by law, specifically verbally and clearly laid forward in the constitution later codified into other uh, pieces of legislature in spain and peru but for the rest of the world including the united states there is no law that protects your rights to the rights you have to your neuro privacy or any kind of data that's produced from your brain so this means that there are avenues for exploitation, 
uh, at least legally, when it comes to practicalities, any hacker who has uh, the intention of hacking and damaging, they eventually will, right? But we as a society have to already start thinking on how we're going to be approaching these crimes or these abuses, whether they come from one specific hacker or from the entire industry, as we have noticed in the past decade, how... Uh, these digital industries can abuse their users as they see us as products, not so much as the end user with human rights and humanity and an expectation of moral action from our service providers. So it's very interesting to know who will own the data legally at least, because uh, sometimes I can say, oh, yeah, but your data is on our servers and we own the servers. So legally, that data belongs to us. But in Europe, you would have the opposite problem with, where it's like, okay, you own so many things that in order for me to be able to function, sorry, uh, in order for me to be able to function, I would have to have an extra contract with you and I cannot even function properly because I have too many limitations on how I can use your data, right? So it, that's that's a, a very interesting debate that's, that should be actually developed by, um, and also discussed by governmental bodies, by uh politicians, by social workers, by us, the users, not just by the companies, because usually it's the companies which are starting to think about these kinds of problems because they're the ones pioneering these technologies. But we, the users, should have a say in this kind of discussion as well. Yeah, usually when there's a centralized company with all this power and they are the pioneer of that tech they they essentially have full control over it and uh the people would have to do something if they want a say in this it, it would have to become more decentralized because as, as soon as there's a centralized attack vector then that can be abused by someone Indeed, or you can hyper-centralize and make the government take care of things. But in the end, I think there has to be the intention of protecting users. Yeah, so true. Uh, just uh, one question I have, uh, Percy. What was the device that you mentioned that, uh, to me previously uh, that you could... Um, it was it was part of the blockchain and you were just injecting it into your vein, under your skin or something, and then you had you had your own wallet? What was it? Can you explain it? Uh, no, I was just saying, uh, theoretically, if you wanted to, it would be possible to, uh, uh, I was just talking about a theory. In theory, you could have something in your body that, or something that verified your identity, a decentralized verifier, identifier. It hasn't really built, been built yet, but uh, like there are patents for it from Microsoft to uh, create sort of a blockchain through the work inside your own body to prove that you're alive. And uh, yeah. that could potentially be used as a decentralized identifier so you know wh whether someone is a human or not. And then you can give a vote to each address, to each, uh, however you decide to divide that blockchain to each wallet. Yeah, 
Yeah. So if you want to put it, convert it, uh, exp uh, implement it in, the, in terms of uh, Neuralinks and the device that Elon Musk is uh, making, uh, if Elon Musk is going to make it, um, especially if he's also very fan of um, blockchains, um, if he's going to give each device, each each IoT device or each each this uh, this 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 device that they are making, each device an ID, a unique ID, and they are going to say that okay, we are going to sell to each person only one ID. So in another words, we can say that each person can be a node uh, if um, there is going to be any blockchain in the future. Yeah, but yeah, so far they haven't found a way to make that sustainable like there's no way so far to get work out of your body yeah exactly it doesn't exist yet but perhaps in yeah. the future yeah but to, to the point of diego that mentioned that these privacy laws yeah it's very difficult specifically today's and nowadays they have problems with um our internet browsers and then and what we are browsing and based on our rp and our use you should you should using vpn or something to get around with it's just not associating our ip with what we are doing on the internet um so uh, companies cannot track us and so many ad blockers or so many ad, uh, so many uh, extension browser extension we need to install just to just uh, filter these things for us um, at least we can do that, okay? And also, even though even Google or any, any other company that is going to just watch us that what we are doing on the internet, um, at least they cannot read our thoughts. Uh, this is something that they, they have still there is another separate another separate layer or something uh, between our thought and what we are doing at the internet uh, behind the computer. But if this device is going to come out and then uh, there is no barrier anymore with the thoughts, and then if they cannot they can't read the thoughts. And they can't think, ah, oh, this person is just uh, thinking uh, thinking in that topic right now or something. They can uh, they can criminalize you or they can uh, they can subject you to something, for example, <laughs> without even doing, without uh, committing any action because you, you thought of it and there is a proof of it. Uh, so it's going to be very diff difficult in the future to just uh, to, to, to legalize such a thing or to govern so, uh, such a thing, to write a book, a book of law for it. Diego, have you, do you have any thoughts on this? Do you think it's possible through an implant to uh, receive information from the brain, as in like read thoughts? Well, to what extent do you think that's possible? Yeah, to what extent uh, it is not yet possible when it comes to reading thoughts the same way we would express them with words. Uh, to be able, to, and I think Elon Musk does talk about um, conceptual telepathy, right? not just consensual, but conceptual. That is to say, to be able to um, transmit or even receive abstract thought in an intelligible manner. That is not possible today because we cannot, we have not yet decrypted thoughts to begin with. We can approximate feelings with um, how we read the brain activity, but thoughts in and of themselves are not um something that we can do with our technology or knowledge yet that would be the case into the future but to the point of using this uh in a court of law as proof of intention well you have to take into account that we already have uh in well at least in the united states they do have the concept of having the 
intention to hurt, the intention to to do crime. If someone commits a crime without meaning to, that they still committed a crime, but there's a bit of a dampening here. It's like, we're not going to give you 10 years in prison, maybe one year probation, blah, 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 because you did not mean to do it in the United States. Every single country has their own legal system, and some do not even take into account what you were intending to do. Some others keep you for a year in jail, even if you're innocent until you confess and, or until the bureaucratic time runs up. Uh, and so we would have to all as a society or collection of societies um, come into agreement as to how much does it count to uh, have an intention to do crime to have an impulse to do crime, to have a random thought about crime, and the actual action of a crime. And uh, some of some legal systems do have this codified, some do not. And it would be up to us to update our legal systems to understand, number one, is this admissible in court? Can you, for instance, uh, present... Um, what was it? Uh, can, can you present damaging information or uh, damaging testimony against yourself. This is not possible in certain uh, legal systems. You cannot actually testify against yourself. And using your own devices against yourself, which have access to your most intimate sphere, would be a violation of this principle because you also have to take into account the spirit of the law, the intention with which it was written. So... Yeah, that, that's that's another thing that you have to take into account, right? It's like, okay, yes, we could get criminal intention from you if we could advance our technology so far as to be able to decrypt your thoughts and be able to separate uh, pulsions from intentions, from uh, planning, from all of these things. There's so many processes that happen way before one takes an action or is or way before we become conscious of our choices. There's so many things happening in the background, right? And there's also filtering systems, and there's also many ways of the brain taking decisions unconsciously, uh, which brings us a question of, again, neural rights and neural laws. To which extent can science influence the legal system and to which extent can the legal system accept certain kinds of evidence based on um, the spirit of the law. Like if you, for instance, say, oh, I'm going to chop off the queen's head and you're in your room and nobody hears you and you don't do it anyway because you were just joking or you were just having a bad day, whatever it is. Does that count the same as writing in a journal, let us behead the queen, right? Of course, it's different. And there's a difference in between freedom of expression and freedom to be, you know, brash inside of your own room without an audience, you know? So, yeah, those things have to be taken into account, of course, when it comes to writing law. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, one thing I wanted to add is if you, if you put a little bit more imagination to it, to this device and what it does, um, for example, um, right now there are so many analytics, so many, for example, so many cloud services, for example, one of them is Google just offering you some analytics. For example, you have a website and you if you put the analytics on it, you know that how many people from which countries, from which IPs, uh, they've come to, to your website, uh, visited uh, how many pages, for how long, and then if they even um, scroll down uh, to, the, to, the, to the bottom of the page, you, you know these things, okay? And they are just real time, you're getting this information from there because of these trackers. And now imagine, and if you have the device and you're getting the immediate feedback from the brains of people, and then for example, you can use it in, in, in presidential election. For example, after the first debate, 45% uh, of people thinking that they're going to vote for Biden, 55% uh, of people are going for another one. And then uh, you have immediate feedback. They do not even have to vote. They do not even have to vote or just participate in pools or pre-pools or whatever. They just, they're going to be one single entity or pool, which is going to really tell the truth. And it can understand all brains of people. For example, the United States, it can filter it and they can say, okay, um, let me know how many people are thinking are going to vote after just this dialogue, for example, happened between two, these two candidates. What happened? And then they're going to get immediate feedback. The candidate, ah, oh, now we are losing people. We are losing people. Do not say that. Do not say that. Change the topic. <laughs> and then in real time, they're going to fix themselves. I have no doubt, no doubt that it will be used like that, or at least they will try to use it like that until a scandal breaks out, like it did already with Facebook. So, yeah, and you and I actually worked together in um, in a project where we actually had to do something similar. We had to see if the uh, subject was actually looking at a certain point to see if they were attracted to that kind of concept or that kind of area uh, and so on and so forth. So I am very certain that this application will come to light at some point, maybe in five decades or something like that, but they will try. They will try to do that, I'm pretty sure. Um, with, with an implant, which areas of the brain will be affected and where, where do you have to connect the implant? How do you guys see that? Well, it depends on the implant, depends on its structure, and it depends on what areas of the brain you're trying to target. And Elon Musk did say, oh, yes, we have tried putting multiple of these in the pig's brains because the implant or their implant specifically is limited to four centimeters per thread. So it can only affect the areas of the brain it can reach. That is to say, four centimeters around the implantation area in the cortical region. That's to say, in the outermost layer of the brain. So if you put it in the motor cortex, it will be affecting or getting information from uh, your motor intentions. If you want to move your hand or if you move your hand, that will be there. Or it could make your hand twitch if it can stimulate it. If you go into the prefrontal cortex, it will be different. If you go into the visual cortex, it will be different. So the brain is divided by physical areas, like an actual physical country, and every area has its own specialization. Uh, not because the left-right dichotomy from philosophy, but because these areas are just specialized to do specific things. The broker area in, I think it's your left side, will control whether you can speak or not. And that's actually used to map the brain. Like if you can find the, the broker area, then you can find other areas around, right? Uh, so 
if the person stops speaking after an inhibitory stimulus in the broca area you have found it <laughs> so uh, how far can it reach well it depends on how far the the threads can go and they did announce specifically with Neuralink that they wanted to go into deep brain stimulation, right? Because the cortex is kind of the most shallow part of the brain in many regards. When it comes to very important things such as breathing, such as hormonal processing, memory processing, uh, reflexes, they are, well, reflexes are not in the brain area, it's in the spine area, but um, these kinds of sustaining, life-sustaining um, functions are deeper into the brain. So unless you can get an electrode close enough, you cannot affect that. And there's electrodes that are going very, very deep into the brain, which are usually used for uh, Parkinson's disease to help uh, people stop shaking because the problem does not come exactly all the way from the motor cortex, but from a deeper area. So of course you have to go deeper and the cable has to go even deeper, right? So yeah, that's, that's I think the answer when it comes to what areas can be affected. And um, in the case of the Neuralink, as it stands, as it's designed right now, you would have to make a hole for every area that you want to reach. So if you want to reach the prefrontal cortex, you have to make a hole in your forehead. If you want to uh, find the uh, visual cortex, you have to go all the way to the back of your skull and so on and so forth. So in the demonstration last year, they showed basically um, the, the neural link directly linked to the... Uh, I don't think it was the olfactory region. I think it was the the, the region that was in charge of the pig's snout uh, when it comes to the tactile sensation, um, because the olfactory bulb is somewhere else, not not so much in the upper part. In the upper part, in the upper part, you can control movement and uh, tactile sensation uh, in a certain region, right? So, yeah, that's mostly it. I, I hope I answered your question, or did I go a bit too? Right. Yeah, no, that was that was great. Yeah, uh, it's been said that human speech is uh, immensely more complicated than the movement of a limb. Yes, uh, it requires more coordination of more muscles. Indeed. And there was a there was a neurologist actually, if I remember correctly, I think his name was a uh, Phil Kennedy. I'm not sure if you know of him, but uh, he inserted an electrode into his brain. I think it was in 2014. He had to go to Belize to get that done. All right. Because it's not legal in the in where he was in the US. And uh, they had to insert an electrode deep enough to go into his brain. And he, after the surgery, they thought that he's like completely paralyzed and he could only utter like some syllables. He could only say like, sorry. Because he could, he he wanted to connect something inside his brain so he could talk to people, but that was very interesting. Indeed, it is, and actually, you're right. It is so complex that that speech is governed by many areas in the brain, uh, and uh, we have found out, thanks and um, tragically thanks to uh, stroke patients. So a certain stroke in a very specific area of the brain may paralyze them in a certain manner 
but they could regain skills in another manner. For instance, people who have had strokes and cannot speak anymore can regain speech by retraining their brain from the singing skill center because they can still sing, but they can no longer speak which means that singing and speaking are in different areas of the brain. And also, if you want to uh, kind of stop people from speaking physically, uh, you go into the Broca area. But of course, when it comes to tactile function and, and motor ability, you have a very large area on the top of your head, which is specialized in your lips and your tongue. And of course, that's the muscular part of it. So there's many, many, many areas in the brain and uh, shoving an electrode right into your brain may actually cause harm when it breaks a vessel and it basically kills the, the neurons that were fed oxygen by that blood vessel, right? So that's why one of the interesting innovations that Elon Musk wants to bring forward is to use AI and a robot to be able to uh, insert these electrodes around the vessels so as to not create any problems with, with uh, areas dying of oxygen starvation. And of course, the thinner the thread is, the less of a possibility you have for scarring tissue growing around and interrupting the signal which is something they don't talk about, but in a conference I attended on technology for neural interfaces, I found, um, I found out a researcher that talked exactly about what, how thin these interfaces have to be, these threads have to be to avoid scarring or inflammation. And also another researcher said, you know what, we found that there's less scarring if you use carbon nanotubes as your material for these threads. So the technology keeps advancing, yes. And a uh, hundred years after this experiment, as you uh, described it, we have much more refined technology to not screw the brain in the process. Yeah, sure. Uh, just one question. Um, did it just uh, did just a little bit shift the conversation to something like um, to something like a little bit gameish? Uh, for for example, I, I heard that you played this this game Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Correct. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you remember the story, the, the, the what happened exactly? That was the the, the character of Johnny Silver Silver Silverhand. Yeah, if I'm saying correct. Silverhand. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. This um, can you use? Yeah, that was it. Was implanted after 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 uh, after an implant of implant of a hardware or something into a brain of another character, the main character that we are playing in the game, and we could see him in our brain, and um, it, it it turns out very interesting that because he sometimes he was uh, very forceful and we uh, we had to do something that. Uh, he was asking us to do and sometimes we could have our own freedom and that's but that's also very interesting even in this game how they are how they are uh presenting uh, to us what's the future is going to look like if you implant the hardware in your brain and then the other hardware is coming from uh, and it has a character for example and uh, is going to always talk to you and the, the other character has a completely different characteristic the from you so 
you two need to get along with each other or uh, you, you need to kill yourself because it's very difficult to all the time um all the times be with this character um so but what do you think to this extent what do you think that uh, the future of gaming is going to be like do you think that more devices are going to go around and then we have for example we have vr glasses we have ar glasses i mean ar glasses are not for consumers uh, but um but normal consumers but we have so many a smartphone or uh, uh, smart watches and there are so many things so many possibilities to make games with them and connect them do you, how far do you think there is going to um go in this direction that's when the new devices are coming new games are going to get made for them and uh, more people are going to interact with games more closely than ever before indeed um Well, I don't want to give that many spoilers about Cyberpunk 2077, but let's just say that the character being controlled by Johnny Silverhand was not a problem of psychology, but actually in the story, in that world, it was a problem of technology. But I'll leave it at that because there's a very huge spoiler at the end about exactly that and why that happens. But when it comes to your question about... uh, Having new technologies being adapted for gaming uh, and what possibilities there could be, I mean, it depends on your time frame. In 10 years, it may be interesting, but maybe not that revolutionary. In 50 years, it could be absolutely alien to us. In 100 years, it would be something that no one could have imagined ever because of the discoveries that will happen in the time between now and then, right? So as a game designer, if you ask me that question, what's the limit or how much we can grow? It is a question of number one, how creative you can be with the tools that you have. And number two, how commercially viable is your product? Because if you have the bestest idea, but no one wants to buy it, then it will never come into the collective consciousness, right? If you cannot make it viral, if you cannot memify it, if you cannot become part of the mainstream culture with your brand new idea, your brand new idea will be just a footnote in history. But that which becomes uh, something that everyone talks about, sometimes it's not even that much of an innovation. Like, look at TikTok. It's just shorter YouTube. Right. Uh, So or like a mix between Twitter and Instagram, YouTubeified. So that that's not new technology. It's just a newer format. It's not a new application. It's a new format. Right. Um, But people love it. People consume it a lot. So it's a question of marketing at that point. Right. So as a game designer, how creative can I be with the tools that I already have? And how well can I market it? That would be my question, right? So if you're thinking, okay, what kind of wonderful things can we have? It may be up to you actually to come up with these things <laughs> because if companies are trying to get money, they will try to go for the safest thing. We're in a crisis. They are not going to be innovating for the sake of innovating. And uh, sometimes users are so... Um, so they're so comfortable with what they already have that they're not pushed into innovating that much. So it would be up to people like you and me to think, how can we innovate? How can we bring forward the innovations that we want to see, right? Because nobody else is going to do it for us. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask about all these senses. How many senses will it involve? Uh, how do you see that play out? Like, like being fully immersed in the game through like every single one of your senses, all yeah. five. Well, that's interesting. Now, one would hope to be able to engage as many senses as possible. Now, uh, stereotypically, we say we have five senses, but we, of course, have many more than those. We have chronoception and nociception and proprioception and all kinds of perception of ourselves and of the outside world, right? And uh, if you can play with these other senses, that would be an extra nice layer. But if we keep it to just the typical five, which allows to think of what we can plan for these typical five, that is to say, smell, taste, uh, hearing, vision, and uh, what, it was, uh, what am I missing? Smell. Uh, yes. <laughs> then it would be a question of technology, right? There's a few gaming suits which try to emulate a touch all over your body. There are, let me think, what, what else do we have? A smell of vision taste-o-vision, which is just an experiment so far. Uh, but if you can access the brain directly, and you can decode a way to send information to the brain so that the, in, the brain interprets it as a very specific signal which you want it to interpret, right? Because every brain is different, and every neural link installation would have to be different, but they would all have to have a way of standardizing how salty tastes, how perfume smells, how roses smell, how uh, electricity would feel like on your skin, how heat or cold would feel on your hands. Um, and of course, I think that the most challenging one for our generation as video game designers who hope to use these technologies would be how can I represent one pixel correctly? Because so far, when it comes to stimulating the visual cortex, we can only uh, stimulate the cortex to see one single phosphine. That's to say a flash of light. But if you can control the size and position of this flash of light along with its color, then you can start thinking about creating other pixels around your vision to create a heads-up interface, which is what Elon Musk was talking about. Maybe we can have supervision and, and maybe we can have heads-up displays. And we could, if we could do something more than one single mega huge pixel flashing in your eyes. That's what we can do today, right? With non-invasive stimulus. With invasive stimulus, we may have maybe access to much more delicate represent visual representations in our mind's eye. But we're not yet there. As far as I know, there's no research or no experiment, not even the Neuralink from the Neuralink company, to start thinking about a heads-up display to be able to convey visual information in an accurate manner. If you can write one letter in front of your mind's eye, then everything else will be easy to just reproduce from what we already know from displays we're already using. But until we can emulate that kind of functionality into our own visual cortex, it's just fiction, right? So if we can at some point use that 
to our advantage as game designers, then we can continue developing games that do that. And one of the games I'm proposing as a proof of concept would be a game where um, you use, um, tr- uh, what is it, transcranial magnetic stimulation to make you know the player see this flash of light and use it as a secondary mode of informing the player about things like uh you're talking to a character and if you see a flash of light you know they're lying right or something like that or maybe according to the intensity of the flash of light or how quickly it flashes then you understand oh this 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 character's heart is going fast i can see it i can sense it even if it's just one flash of light how can i as a game designer make use of that flash of light right so yeah yeah, I've heard arguments where some people have said maybe perhaps if this were successful, something like Neuralink, uh, where you could connect the brain to a computer. Uh, some people have said that there would be no more language in the future if theoretically that was possible because people would just communicate through thoughts. Well, if you could be that specific and you could communicate with other people directly, yeah, maybe there would be no language, but I'm thinking that at least at the beginning, if we are able to have some sort of reliable mode of communicating with other people, it may become much more of a, of a secondary layer of communication, especially when it comes to early implants, because again, we do not have the knowledge or the technology to be able to decode abstract thought in and then be able to send it over um to another person and be able to to make this person understand this abstract thought in the exact same manner. That is a problem. We we as humans could not do that even when we try speak to try to speak. And that's because every brain is different and every brain has a different architecture. It's physically different. It's wired physically different. Um, so you cannot just copy paste uh, electrical impulses. You have to translate them adapt them and then transmit them. And that would require a computer to really know both brains from the inside out on a molecular level, right? So that's not possible right now. <laughs> we, we don't even know yet how the brain fully works. So yeah, all of this is just theory. Yeah, it's just theory, but I believe that it, the theory, I, I don't think it's even theory. I think of it as fantasy because we do not even have any study or proof of concept, or anything that could confirm a hypothesis, much less a theory. So uh, I think that reality will surpass fiction as soon as we get there in 200, 300 years, I don't know how many years, maybe 10, whatever it is, right? Uh, But until we get there, I am hoping that reality will surprise us as it has done so in the past, you know? Uh, So I'm thinking that maybe, likely, this is another fiction, of course, uh, it could become part of language, just as emojis have become part of language and not something that substituted language. Uh, I think that having a way to send some sort of information to another person on a long distance without any other kind of interface would be an added bonus to it. And I mean, there's already some experiments on brain-to-brain communication, but again, the uh, bandwidth or resolution is one pixel long. It's basically one flash of light 
or maybe one twitch of your hand, depending on the intention of the other person in another room, um, uh, made by you know researchers in the University of Washington, which I did cite in my thesis because that's basically the the basis of of my concept because they used video game environments, video sorry video game like environments because the games that they had were very rudimentary, in order to prove that oh yes by the way these kinds of connections between brains are viable at least if you know what you're doing right. And um, when it comes to having not just machines around your head trying to decrypt and send information to your brain without having to open it, and when it comes to having an actual electrode in your head, there may be a difference in resolution, in possibility, of course. But I mean, in the end, I think that I don't, I don't think that language would be absolutely substituted at least not in the beginning with the technology that we have. Uh, so um, uh, we are closing to, uh, we're getting closer to uh, the end of the episode. Just, uh, I wanted to just make something interesting at the, at the end. Let's just, um, let's just a little bit uh, make it imaginary at this time. And um, let's just think that, okay, the Neuralink company is going to make this device and it's going to, it's going to be okay for everyone to put it, put them in, the, in their brain and it's going to work really good and we can also decode uh, human thoughts. And as also Parsa mentioned that, okay, we can communicate through thoughts with each other instead of uh, languages. Um, let's just continue from that on and build on top of it. And then what are, what, what, are, what are the things that are going to happen in the world? And what are the things that are going to make sense? And what are the things that are not going to make sense anymore? For example, the idea that if... They can't communicate with every thought, which means thoughts are digital. So they are going to digitally talk to each other. That's one thing. So it's going to be fast, for example, not just fast, but also that means uh, that means another idea that uh, humans, if their mind, if their mind is kept alive, for example, in some situation or something, in some conditions, uh, their body, of, of course, is going to get uh, rotten and is going to just fade away. But if we can't keep their brain and if it is still the devices in their brain and we can't communicate with that brain, they do not need a body. We can put their brain into a, a robot or something, uh, something like uh, what was the movie um, that was the police. And then he um, he got shot and then they turned his body into a Robocop or something. Oh, that was Robocop. Robocop. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was something like that. So you're keeping the brain of the person and then put this into his into a body because the only thing that matters for you is the brain, and you ha you kind of still communicate with that brain, and then um and that brain uh, just needs some uh, some uh, chemical formula to give uh, to to uh, to uh, to live um, for some uh, some some time and you can communicate with it. So that means another idea that you are kind of immortal or something. Um, what do you think, guys, about that, Parsa, Diego, both of you? What do you think about that? How, if that happened, what are the what are the implications? Are we going to capture the whole universe? That's an interesting idea. Um, well, I think you answered a little bit your own question when it comes to Neuralink making you immortal, because as you described it, there was no Neuralink in any of the processes, right? Uh, if you're using chemicals, if you're using other interfaces, if you're using ways to sustain the brain, uh, despite the rest of the body rotting away, because, I mean, the brain is part of the body, after all. Um, 
uh, and then, well, yeah, you could become functionally immortal, not invincible, but at least potentially immortal if you can keep up until the end, right? Uh, but but in and how would you even grasp time at that point? Yeah, I I personally can't, and I get all kinds of uh, anxiety attacks about it. But that's for another episode. Um, <laughs> but the curious thing is, um, Neuralink would not be needed at that point, right? So unless you're thinking, okay, if immortality is to be able to perpetuate your thoughts, well, yeah, of course, you could try to copy them and then you could try to paste them somewhere else. But where we really do that with books and art, uh, that's a kind of immortalizing someone, right? But as you very well uh, describe it, well, maybe the brain is a very essential part of immortality of the individual, right? Uh, and at that point, can we conquer the universe? Well, if we have enough time, we may if we wanted to, but uh, at some point, I think humanity may have to first think, okay, so how do we keep immortal even if it's not in this universe, right? Um, so before I trigger a panic attack, I'll just let Persa with his own thoughts on it. Uh, sorry, could you repeat the question again? I mean, uh, the, the question is: was that that I asked if it's going to be immortal, what's going to happen next? What do you think? What are the implications? What are the consequences? What are the effects? What are the results for us? If we are going to be immortal in this sense, in this case, uh, with this with this device, uh, if the device is going to be just the first step in it and the end result is going to make us immortal and we are going to digitalize the human brain, um, what do you think is going to happen if you're digital? Are we going to capture the, human, uh, the, 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 the universe? Because we are digital, we don't need oxygen, we don't need anything. We just need to just keep the brain alive somehow. And then we need just, we kind of need just kind of robot body to just do something for us. Uh, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with this power? What are we going to do with our time? What are we, how we are going to just make jobs done? Uh, do we have a still daily jobs, for example? <laughs> what are, what's going to happen uh, for if, us? Um, if theoretically that were possible, then this is all like obviously like not you can't prove any of this it's all like fantasy but uh, if theoretically it was possible then why aren't we it may be an answer to fermi's paradox as well if if theoretically that was possible to become digital and immortal where like other intelligent life in the universe might exist but they just don't care about the universe anymore because they made their own world and they they live there and we can't detect them. But also, I feel like time will be very... Time just won't even exist anymore because, because you would just live in this virtual world and you wouldn't be able to... You, you wouldn't be able to grasp time like you do now. You, you wouldn't know if... For example, you've lived for a thousand, ten thousand, or a hundred thousand years. Like it won't even matter anymore. But definitely, I'm sure that um, people are going to still be greedy, even if they have one hundred thousand, uh, ten thousand, one million year or something. People are still going to compete for it. Who is going to live longer? 
um, who is going to keep his brain uh, alive for more, more than the other one. <laughs> who's going to be in this world? That's the thing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah that's kind of like a branch off. Earth, yeah. Like, it's a different branch yeah. of, like, humanity. Some people, yeah. for example, reject it and they don't want it. And they want to live their life normally. They don't want something in their brain. That will become a different species than someone else who just rejected it and went in the simulation that they created. Yeah, exactly. Who's yeah, going exactly. to keep talking the system up? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Talking about if you are digital, that means probably you, somebody can also make you simulated. Uh, somebody can put you in the simulated environment. That's going to be... <laughs> uh, it reminds me of the series uh, Black Mirror or something. Yeah, that was Black Mirror. That was in many episodes. We had this idea that just to be idea of a simulation that if you are, if you keep a body of a, a mind of a brain of a person and then make it a digital and then put it uh, put it as a simulation. For example, one of the episodes of the, uh, Black Mirror was that um, a couple were living together, ha have a kid and then um uh, the, the wife is going to die uh, yeah it's going to just get get got cancer or just get in, in an accident or something died and then uh it did the person the the, the other uh, the, the the husband was so devastated because of that and then they decided okay uh, the, the scientist came out and said okay i have an experiment i can put the brain of your wife into your mind if you like and then you can raise your kid together and then said, okay we can try and then yeah in the beginning it was good but uh, after that it was not very um it was not very uh it was not very 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 efficient to have two uh, two brains into one brains and uh it was uh it was bringing uh, kind of problems but it's interesting interesting topic um we had tonight um with, wait uh, uh, before you... before we end this episode i just want to ask everyone mm -hmm. you guys would you guys be if if something like neuralink happened and you guys were like 80 90 years old would you guys uh adopt the technology or not yeah diego go first you are 90 years old right now you have the chance to get it or uh, reject it would you get it and then die a little bit <laughs> differently <laughs> or or, uh, or would you just want to die in peace well if it looks like this kind of neural link i wouldn't because uh, I'm pretty certain it would shorten my life just from the stress and trauma. Come on, you are 90 years old and 90 years old is not going to shorten your life. <laughs> your life cannot be shorter than that. Oh, I, yeah, of course. <laughs> what, I don't know. No, what I mean is, um, the thing is, it's too invasive. I would not use it, but I'm certain by, that by 90 years old, there may be something much more attractive than the Neuralink. I could possibly uh, consider using it but of course i would be making that decision as a consumer is it something that it's worth my time my uh money my health whatever it is or is it just almost cosmetic for me whereas it's mostly a medical implant for someone else so i, I would i would have to wait and see how good the quality of the thing um sorry I would have to wait and see how good the quality of the technology is, but I'm on the fence. Maybe yes, maybe no, depending on how I uh, perceive its usefulness. Depending on the brand, yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, yeah, I'm the 90 years old, I'm I think I'm going to definitely, I'm definitely going to try it, I think, because it's good to try something new before, uh, before, uh, before I die. And um, yeah, I think it's, why not? Uh, let's give it a try. 
Uh, I think at the age of 90, I think my brain worth nothing uh, that I cannot even barely think probably. I mean, if I, I'm not, I'm not, I think, I don't think I'm going to be Warren Buffett or something. I think um, my brain, I don't think so, is going to work very properly. So I think I'm going to give, they give my consent to this company <laughs> to implant something into it. Maybe they're going to um, extract uh, more better thoughts out of it. Maybe you will need to use it in that case, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's your point at the beginning of the thought you mentioned. Yeah, that the disabled people that they needed, probably I have Parkinson or something or just dementia or uh, or something that I need to get it to be able to uh, at least uh, live a little bit better, a little bit better uh, for some some months or some a little bit few years or something before that. Yeah, and what about you, person? Would you would you get it at the age of ninety? Uh, even uh, just don't think of the don't think of the price. It, even your, your your insurance company is going to pay for it no worries even if something like this was possible where you could create uh, a perpetual simulation where you could just live and be immortal i think if that were possible then i i think that it's, it's also it also it means that you are currently in one yourself you wouldn't be able to disprove that if theoretically you could make one that good but mm -hmm. uh yeah, sorry, continue. No, 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 yeah, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, if it's about being immortal, yeah, it would be like, yeah, I want to buy that, and I'm trying to buy that now. Um, but when it comes to Neuralink, I would be looking at the quality of the product. But Because cause I thought that Mozan was referring to Neuralink as a product. But if you're thinking of what we were talking about, like trying to be immortal, yeah, I would I would certainly like get it. Yeah, I think if... If uh, I think Warren Buffett has just recently got ninety years old, and uh, he's drinking soda, he's drink and he's uh, buying his breakfast from McDonald's. So if he's doing that at the age of ninety, I think definitely I'm going to go for it. Go for this Neuralink. There's not going to be something more dangerous than that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you so much uh, for this episode, uh, Diego. A special thanks to you. My pleasure. And also Parsa for the organization. Thank you so much. Um, and also our audience that um, they've listened to this episode. I hope that it, it was it was kind of interesting for them as well um, as it was to us. And uh, hope to uh, see you, Diego, as well, and our audience in the next episode as well. Indeed. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thanks, Diego, for uh, coming on the show. And uh, we hope the audience had a good time listening. Thanks. My pleasure. See you guys soon.